Welcome to the Arise Church Podcast. At Arise, we're a community of imperfect people, pursuing and experiencing a transformative relationship with Jesus and one another. For more information, you can find us online at ariseonline.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church. Good also to be here this, with you this morning and open God's word and consider what the Spirit is saying to us, the church of Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew 28. I, I, I failed to ask um, Mike Whipple, is everybody reading the book Saturate or is that just the guide that, that you were using? Or, or Oh, there you are. Sorry, I got lost in the, in the runway lights. Um, so, but I'm assuming you have referenced it and told people about it, and, and Mike has a policy that anybody who's interested may have a copy off of his shelf in the office, so just kidding. Not very far from true. Okay, so if you're interested, talk to Mike. Um, I, I, I um, bought it, and I am using it loosely for some of the things that I thought about for this morning, um, but will not be following it exactly, so I wasn't sure where you all were in that, but... To start us out, let's turn to the Great Commission, found in Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 16, and let's pray. Father, for your word written, we're we're grateful that we can have it before us, but we're even more grateful for Jesus, your Son, who spoke these words, and for your Holy Spirit that gives us faith to believe them and the ability to understand them. And we ask for the courage to apply them. So come, Lord Jesus, and speak to us this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted that it was really he. Jesus came up to to them and said, all authority, which means all power and absolute rule, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, some versions say, remember, I am with you always even to the end of the age. God's word from the Gospel of Matthew, may he add his blessing to it in our hearing. I realized as I was, I was going through that that I had my, my version switched to the amplified version, so if any of you are going, huh, didn't hear that word before, um, that, that was why. So discipleship, this, this topic of discipleship, I just realized there's a TV in the back, that's kind of cool. I thought that was like a, a sign, like... Um, this, this issue of discipleship is one that has become so, so popular and so important to so many people that it actually made it as a job description um, bullet point um, for me in the position that I hold with the classes. If you don't know, I work for our classes, which is a Greek word, which means group or fleet, like a fleet of ships. So I work for our district or our group of churches, 34 of them, um, between North Dakota and South Dakota, Bismarck to to Springfield, South Dakota, basically. In fact, tomorrow morning I'll be taking a lovely drive to Bismarck um, to meet with some folks up there. You're from Fargo. <laughs> Bismarck's like a half a state away. I'm gonna go. I'm going to Fargo for lunch on Tuesday. So, yeah, I'm gonna drive by the Dykes. Um, 
There's two of them, you know. Ask Katie about them. She'll tell you all about them. What was I talking about? Okay, discipleship. So <laughs> discipleship is so important that it made as a job description, um, I'm supposed to help churches, assist churches in, in deeper discipleship. Um, so it's an area that, that I've been studying a little bit more for the last couple of years, and it's, it's kind of, it's, it's frustrating. It's so simple that it's frustrating sometimes, and, and it's so important that we can't ignore it, right? So can we, can we agree that, that the call of Jesus, this great commission, is like of utmost importance? Like it's, it's way up there on the list of things that we're supposed to do. In his final parting words to the disciples, Jesus says, go make disciples. So c- can we agree, at least super important for the church to do, go make disciples? Yeah? Okay. Um, then here's the troubling part. In a recent survey that was done by the, the Tom Rainer group, I don't know if you know who that is, but he has a, a podcast and writes books and does leadership stuff. They recently did some surveying of churches to see what churches really need help with. They were trying to look for like the, what's the latest thing that churches are saying, we really need help in this area. Number one thing that comes up, discipleship, right? So that's troubling to me as a leader in the, in the sort of cr- Christian at, at whatever level, denominational level that I'm in, um, that's troubling to me that of the utmost importance or, or maybe primary in the things that we are called to do, not, not just believe, but do, is make disciples, and yet churches are saying that we need the most help in the area of discipleship. That, that poses a problem. High importance, um, low resource, we'll just say, that churches are not being equipped or they don't feel like they are equipped. Here's where I think the problem is caused, or maybe what the root of this is. And to start, I want to jump way back to the story of Jesus and the background that was going on in this time. So the whole backdrop of this, when you hear Jesus say, all authority has been given to me, that was a statement that was, that was meant to empower the disciples. That was meant to encourage them and to help them to realize like the full, the full picture. Because when Jesus first comes on the scene and he begins to teach and he's calling people to repentance and teaching about the kingdom of heaven and showing people um, the real meaning of the, of the law, who's arguing with him? It's, it's the religious leaders and what do they have? They have authority, not just state authority and governmental authority, but they had, they had spiritual authority for the people of Israel at that time. So Jesus is now saying, I have authority in heaven and on earth. So we have to compare and contrast what Jesus was doing with the disciples against what the other authorities had been doing up to that point. So the Pharisees, we know they argue with Jesus on all sorts of things. And we also know that the people of Israel were not living into the the call that they had on their life from God. So if you go back into the Old Testament, you know that the Lord um, redeemed them from from all sorts of different things, and then they would blow it, and he would redeem them, and they would blow it, and the the pattern, the cycle got set up. But in the the midst of all that, they were supposed to be a, a nation of priests that were supposed to reach out to other nations. And they were supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. So there was always this, this outreach or this evangelistic element that was supposed to be a part of the nation of Israel. But we know that it wasn't. Why? And what had it turned into? Well, the Pharisees had become experts in the law. So what they were helping people to do was to determine how to best interpret all the rules that God had given them for, for their lives. 
So whether it had to do with, with the questions on marriage or how you treat your neighbor or what do you do in this instance or that instance or whatever it was, the Pharisees had become the expert in, experts in it. And the people would come to, to the religious authorities of the time and they would listen to teaching on how to live their lives perfectly according to the law so that they could, some of them believed that there was an afterlife, some of them didn't, they just, they just wanted their best life now. Yeah, that was a thing back then too. They just wanted the, the blessing from God in the here and now, and they would go to the religious authorities or, or the priests in order to hear the correct interpretation of God's word so that everything would go well for them. So they kind of had this mentality that if I just follow all the rules, my, my flocks will produce and my wife will make good soup and I'll be happy, right? They just, they, they, they wanted the, the blessing. And what this reminds me of in, in, in multiple ways is one of the TV shows that I, I, um, I'm almost embarrassed to say, it, but sometimes I flip on the TV and I work on my laptop. I just want background, something going on. There's a show that maybe some of you have seen. It's called My 600-Pound Life. Anybody else have that bad habit? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like Dr. Pimple or whatever it is. You know what I mean? It's the kind of show that you watch and you're like, oh, I can't watch anymore. But wow, it's just fascinating that they can pop these giant pimples and giant cysts come out. That, I won't use that one. <laughs> um, so my 600-pound life. Here's what just absolutely fascinates me about, about that show. is that the, the show is about people who, who have surpassed the number 600 pounds and they are morbidly obese and they want help. They, they want to get the surgery, the, the stomach staple surgery or whatever it is, and, and so they, they want a better life, but they've gotten to this point where they're, they're um, like, like I, I don't even know what to say. I don't, I don't mean to say the worst like in who they are in their character, but they're, they're like the, the, the most extreme example of what it is to be an unhealthy American, right? And, and my heart breaks for the people who, who are over 600 pounds as, as I watch this show, but there's a character in the show that actually troubles me the most. And it's not the person, and it's not the funny little doctor. If you watch the show, the doctor is this, this goofy little guy. Um, just check it out sometime. I'm sure it's on Hulu or something. It's, it's the person that brings food to the morbidly obese person. That person, I, I just, I, I really want to meet them because... How, how do you let somebody that you love, that you care about, um, get to the point where they, they have a healthy life basically includes um, good, good diet, good exercise. Some people include sleep in there, right? But you have to have stuff coming in and you have to have a- output. And I mean in the form of, of exercise, right? So um, healthy in, healthy out makes for a healthy life. And these people just have a little too much in, a little more too much in, and maybe they have an emotional or a psychological issue that, that they're trying to appease. And I, I can understand that. Most of us do have things that we're trying to make feel better. So it's, it's, it's feel goods, it's feel goods, it's feel goods, it's feel goods. And all of a sudden, one day, they realize that my knees are gone or my hips don't work anymore or I can't get out the door. And it's at that point that somebody has to provide the feel goods, right? Somebody has to be bringing the cheeseburgers. Somebody has to go to Walmart and, and, and buy all the, the Happy Meals or whatever it is. So somebody is, is enabling them to go even beyond the, the point of no return, right? To just keep feeding them and feeding them and feeding them until they can't get out anymore. And what is wrong with that, that enabler? Why do they do that? And, and here's where it really gets me is it's a lot like pastors, I pastor pastors now. I have a whole bunch of them. It's, it's fun. It's like herding cats. They're the most overeducated, opinionated people that I have ever met in my life. 
and, and here's what they love doing because it feels good to them is that they love coming into places like this and, and saying, here's a, here's a happy meal, here's a happy meal, here's a happy meal, or, or maybe here's a really great steak and, and here's some really healthy vegetables or, or whatever it might, here's some dessert. They all have different styles of food that they like to, like to prepare and give to you, right? So they just love feeding sheep like hay bale every week and, and it feels good. It, it really does. There's, there's, a, there's a rush that you get out of it that a lot of pastors suffer with a thing called postpartum depression, but for them, it's the message. They prepare all week, and they mix it up with their heart, and they give it to their people, and the people giggle a little bit, or they shout amens, or they give the furrow brow nod, or whatever it might be. They pitch that hay bale out there, and then they get to go on a line, and everybody lines up and says, good message, pastor. Good message, pastor. And they're basically saying, thanks for feeding us. Thanks for making this so much easier for us. And what does it do? It makes a whole bunch of 600-pound Christians who have a hard time getting out the door and going to make them more Christians. But we just keep coming back every week after week. And it sets up this vicious cycle of, of we just tell you the right way to live. We tell you the right way to vote. We tell you the right way to raise your kids and, and how to treat your spouse and how to view this topic. And we, we tell you the right way to think about this scientific thing or, or this sexuality thing or whatever it might be. And, and you, you agree or you don't and you leave and you go to a different restaurant and, and they feed you the kind of food you want. You see what I'm saying? But we set up this cycle of we become enablers, the hay bale pitchers, and you become fat, happy sheep that just wait every week for it. Feed us. Feed us. And what doesn't happen? Well, the, the goal doesn't happen. So there's a question. What's the goal? Why, why are you here? Why do you do this Jesus thing? Why do you ever crack open your Bible? What, what's, what's your goal in all of this? It's, it's not discipleship. Discipleship's not the goal. Discipleship is, is just a way. But why do we do this at all? Why do we worship? Why do we study? Why do we life group or small group or prayer group? Or, why? What's behind it all? The goal for Jesus wasn't to, to get and make disciples. That was just a way. To do what? to help people to be back into relationship with God the Father and to help people to be back in relationship with, with one another. When you look at the things that Jesus taught, discipleship wasn't the end. It was the means to the end. It was the way to be back in a loving, sin-free relationship with God the Father. If you look at the whole of Scripture, that's what it's all about. The whole thing has been a big old rescue mission ever since we got booted out of the garden, that God was constantly providing a way for us to be in a relationship with Him and in a relationship with other people. So the, the law, the Ten Commandments, first half about our relationship with the Lord, second half about our relationship with people, all of those laws in, in, the, in the book of Leviticus or wherever you want to go in the Old Testament and find rules, those rules weren't the end. The goal was never to be a perfect, um, o- o- obedient abider of the rules. The goal was to be in relationship with God and relationship with other people. Thus, it's all summed up in the two greatest commandments. Love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself. The goal is to be in a relationship with our Father and relationship with one another. Discipleship is not the goal. When we make discipleship the goal, then we turn discipleship into a program, and then we can easily plug in and unplug from it and then go about our fleshly lives in whatever way we want. We have to rediscover the true desire of the Father so that we can be on our way towards what His purpose is for us in our lives, and that's to be in a relationship with Him. If my goal was just to have great dates, I would not have gotten married. 
It's not that we don't have great dates. It's, it's that, boy, I lost you for a second there. I thought you were sitting there. It's not that we don't have great dates and great moments, um, but that was never the goal. The goal, when, when I went on, on a quest to find my wife and I moved here from the West Coast and I, I, I traversed um, the, the land of Beersford, South Dakota, and I, I went looking, um, my goal was to find that person that I could be in a one flesh, lifelong relationship with. I, I, I knew then, I think, and I just certainly know now that not every day will be fun or easy but if all I ever wanted to do was fun and easy, we don't have to be bound together to one another to do that, right? There's, there's another way to do that. So the goal isn't dates. The, the goal isn't just happy times. The goal is relationship. The goal is, is covenant. It's, it's, it's stuck together. It's, it's bound. It's, it's cleaving relationship. I think it's important for all of us to ask ourselves the question, Why? Why do we do this? Why do you come to church? Why do you desire any more than you already have? If it's just to be entertained by some great music, which, by the way, singing, playing guitar, and drum at the same time, that's, not, that's, like, that's like Marvel um, X-Men stuff. You should get an MRI sometime and just see what happens up there when all that happens. Like, I was back there going, Who, who's playing the drums? Is that, a, is that like a track? Is that a beat? And then I... Why do we come? Why do you follow Jesus at all? If it's because you really want to be in a deeper relationship with other people and, and, and the Father, then that's great. If, if it's just so that you can be entertained, maybe there's a better place. I, I don't know. Or maybe this is, is fine, but I'm, I'm telling you that it's a waste of time because at some point you'll get bored and you'll just move on to something else. I'll let you wrestle through that. Here's what I want to share with you that, that sort of comes out of the book, but it mostly comes out of Matthew 28, 16 and following, and it comes out of a whole bunch of other discipleship stuff that, that I, I have dove into, and it's, it's a more balanced approach to how you do discipleship, the, the way, the means in your life, versus just, just making it the, the end goal. So I'm going to give you three things. So if you're a note taker, you can, you can write down these three things right now, uh, upward, inward, and outward, and you've probably heard those before. And I, I think that Vander Vanderstel is that his name. Um, I think he says life on life, life in community, life on mission. Um, and and Jesus says basically these these same things in just a slightly different way. Jesus didn't use slick like one point words. I, I'm going to talk to him about that when I get there. But um, I'm going to go backwards through this text that I read you this morning. Just point them out to you. Um, one of the last things that Jesus said. So, so again, going backwards is, remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Some versions say, behold, some versions say, lo, which I'm not really sure what it means. Um, but but they, all, they all use a word there that invites us to, to like, check it out, yo, which is kind of probably the way I would write it if I was right. Like, like hey, don't, don't miss this. Like, I've told you to go do something really big, but don't miss this. I am with you always. So just, just stop right now. Jesus is here. Always. The word that's used there means perpetually. It means ongoing. It means yesterday, today, tomorrow. I am with you always. He was saying it to the disciples, but remember he also said, after me I will send a helper who will remind you of everything I taught and he will be with. So the Holy Spirit is right here, right now. He's with us. So 
I think in order for us to have a balanced approach to discipleship, that is being a learner who is enabled to make more learners, the, the most important thing that we can do is, is behold. The most important thing we can do is lo. The most important thing we can do is remember that God is always with us in every moment of our lives. Everywhere you go, when you're at Hy-Vee, when, when you're at the gas station, at work, at school, wherever you might be, when you're with your spouse or your friends, he's there. He's with us always. Always remembering, always lowing, always beholding that upward relationship everywhere, everything we do. All of life, remember that God is with you. Easy to do on Sunday morning, right? Not always easy to do out there. In fact, it's convenient to do here. But remember, this is where we get out of shape when we only come here, when we are only in an upward relationship in this place. The, the next part is, is the inward part. And, and to really understand that, you have to picture again the, picture, the, the scene of Jesus doing this with his disciples. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize and teach them to obey, right? So his disciples would have been hearkening back. They would have been remembering everything that Jesus had taught them. Teach them to obey everything you taught us, Jesus. Yeah, what, what did that, that mean? Well, you can make a list. In fact, I'm pretty sure we have published a list at some point of all the commands of Jesus, right? We, and you can look that up on the internets if you, if you don't have it any, any longer. Um, but it wasn't about all the commands. It was about how it happened. So again, not, not as an end, but as a process, as a way, consider how it was that Jesus made disciples. How did he teach his disciples to obey? Well, he, he said things like, come and follow me. And then as they went along the way, he would bring up topics or things would happen, and then he would take those moments and use them as teachable moments. Some people have summed up the, the discipleship way of Jesus like this. Um, I do, you watch, we do together, you do, I watch, and then you go do. And it's kind of a four-step process, right? So it's kind of like if, if you said, okay, I want to um, be discipled to be a preacher. Well, right now you're watching me, right? So watch. Here's how you do it. Blah, 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 blah. A little bit of studying behind it, right? But you just have to be able to talk and be upright and use your voice. So you're watching. And then the next time I might say, hey, come on up here and we'll do it together. We'll do a team one. And the next time I might sit out there and watch you. And the next time I might say, hey, I got a pulpit supply job for you. Can you go take it? It's, it's in Bismarck, North Dakota. Do you mind? Um, so you would go do. So it looks something like that. And that's how Jesus discipled his disciples. Again, Emphasis on the way that it happened, not the product or, or not, the, not the content of what happened, right? Not, not just the rules. I think sometimes when we hear the words, um, make disciples and teach them to obey, the first thing we think of is, well, they got to stop being sexually immoral, right? That one always comes to the top of the list. They got to stop drinking. They have to start voting Republican. They have to, whatever the thing is. So you make a list of rules that you think that, that people have to obey, right? It's not just about the, and don't hear me saying those things are not important, maybe minus the voting one, but they are important. But the most important thing is that we teach people how so that they can someday do it themselves. You've also heard the thing about give a person a fish, feed them for a day, teach them to fish, they'll have fun the rest of their lives, right? So um, <laughs> that's the inward part. That's the community part. This is the part that, that Vanderstel in, in um, Saturate um, would say that you have to live it in community so that as you're wrestling through the word that you're doing it with other people. That's why early on we started a thing called life groups and we asked people to go to them every week. 
We ask people to be in a life group. In those early days, by the way, some people were like, every week, I don't know, my old church did Bible studies like every third week. It was every third Monday of the month, and every week is a huge commitment. I'm like, yeah, so go back there. I, that's, that's great. We're going to do them every week. And, and in my view, every week's not even enough. When you think about it, these disciples, before they were ready to be sent, spent three years with Jesus, seven days a week. I'm going to guess that Jesus gave them a little bit of time off, but three, what's... What's um, 365 times, we'll just say eight hours a day, he expected them to be disciples? Where's my math guy? Who said a lot? <laughs> nice work. We'll just go with that. It's a lot. Three years, 365 days a year, they were with Jesus. Can you handle one night a week to be with other people and allow them to look into your life? Because you know when those disciples were hanging out with Jesus and one another, relationship with God, relationship with one another, there was some finger pointing going on, right? People, there is no way those disciples let one another get away with stuff. So they, they would go into the, into the local Qdoba in Jerusalem or wherever it was, and they would get a burrito, and they would be rude with the, the person at the counter, and one of them would be like, dude, that was, that was a little harsh. Or they'd keep the extra change that they accidentally got, or they'd cut somebody off in traffic, or they'd flip somebody off at the four-way on the way to church on Sunday morning, or whatever, or Saturday would have been for them. You know that that life-on-life -life discipleship was happening between them when they had the word in front of them, for them the word being, being Jesus. So find a way, I'm not saying that you have to, to get back to how your life group once was, but find a way to get life-on-life -life with other people. Find a way to let iron sharpen iron in your life. That's the inward part. The outward part is pretty obvious, right? The outward part is, is taking what has been put in you that he, you have then worked out and then exercising it and getting it outside because the call wasn't just for us to be in right relationship with God and to feel cozy about it. The call was to help other people to discover the good thing that we have. That's, that's the go part. Here's one of my favorite quotes from the last few years. I'm not sure who came up with it, but um, the, the word there, go therefore make disciples, you know what the Greek word for go is? Do you know what it means in Greek? Anybody? Anybody? What's it mean? What? Go! It means go! Does anybody not understand that? Because I can put some stuff up on the screen and we can work through it for a long time. <laughs> it means go. Can, can I say any, any more clear than that? Go. Some people say it means as you go. Some people, I, I think, unfortunately, have turned it into go to other countries for two weeks at a time. As you go about your life, make disciples. Get, get out of here and, and, and do it. I, I don't know how else to put it that, that makes it any more simple th than that. But at some point, we have a responsibility because Jesus has the authority and he told us to. Some people challenge me sometimes. They say, well, you're a reformed guy. Don't you believe that God already knows everybody who's going to be saved? And I say, yeah, I do, because it says it in Romans. You want to read it with me? And they say, well, okay, but, but if God already knows everybody who's going to be saved, then why bother going and, and making disciples? And I said, because he told me to. Jesus, the one with the authority, told me, the one with the perfect theology, to go <laughs> and make disciples. It's, it's a command. And maybe more importantly for us on a practical level is it's part of the balance. If we leave the go part out, then we just become the ones who come in here and think about who God is and think about how his word applies to our lives. And then what happens? We don't fit out the door anymore. We have to find a balanced 
approach to how we are disciples who are making disciples. I haven't gotten to do this for a while because most churches don't like it when I do it, but any questions? I did this at a, at a deacon training event a while back, a room full of men deacons and a place far away from here. I said, what, I asked them a question. They all went like this. For a long time. And I wasn't even in North Dakota. I missed that, but I bet it was good. Okay. Can you make mistakes or can you be too forward? Yes, you may. I feel like we're playing Father May I. Do you personally have the capacity to or do you have the permission to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let, me, let me read the beginning part. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee on the mountain which Jesus had designated, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus had come back from the dead, and some of them were still like, eh, I don't know, dude. <laughs> Was that a mistake? You know, the sweet thing about Thomas is that Thomas went to India. If you've been to India, like a few of us have, you know that it's like a foreign planet. I've never been to Jerusalem, but I've heard it's really, they're really into cleanliness, especially back then. India is not into cleanliness. So Thomas, the doubter, still gets used to change, to change a continent, really. Yeah, you can make mistakes. Anything else stir up? Anybody want to complain? I like those too. Push back. I, I want to pray something, then I want to tell you one more thing. Um, let's, let's pray this right now, because Jesus, I really do believe that you're with us always. And I believe that your Holy Spirit is here right now. And as we consider questions or, or wrestlings, things that we like and don't like, I pray that you would challenge every one of us to, to hear what you're saying to us this morning through this, this word, and that we would find a balanced way in our lives to be in relationship with you and, and the word and then other people, not for the sake of being in relationship with, with study or, or ourselves, but so that more people can come to know you as Savior. Lord, would you place those people on our hearts right now? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Here's the last thing I would leave you with, is that you're all disciples, and you are all making disciples. The only question is, is of what? And to what end are you making disciples? Is it to have nicer cars or more fun at your parties or, or better stuff or cooler church or, or is it to know Jesus more and to know other people more? To what end is your discipleship working?